0: Amen. If you have your Bible, let's go to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. And I know that this is traditionally the Christmas sermon time, but we're going to take a different look today on a chapter of the Christmas story that I think is just absolutely incredible because it speaks of God's sovereignty in times of drought, in times of extreme, extreme difficulty. And most of you, if you've been to church for any amount of time, most of the time, the Sunday right before Christmas week, it's the same sermon, right? Right? Like, it's literally the same sermon. So what we, what we want to do this year is look back to see that long thread of redemption that God wove through the Hebrew nation, even in grafting someone from the country of Moab. It's absolutely an incredible story. A little background here in Ruth chapter 1. This is during the time of the judges, a time of absolute anarchy. I mean, it was wild, 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 wild. It was the wild east, like the wild near east. It was, I mean, the Bible tells us at the very end of the book of Judges that it was in that time in which every man did what was right in his own eyes, and there was this small family who left the area of Bethlehem because there was a drought, no money, no crops, no nothing, no chances, and they went all the way over to Moab, which is, we looked at last week, Moab would have been both a dangerous place in a really embarrassing place for a Hebrew to go. I mean, can you imagine what the Moabites said? Oh, here comes some Hebrews. Well, I thought that you're God's chosen people. Did the promised land not work out too well for you guys? Do you have to come to Moab? And they went, and Naomi's husband died, and then her two sons married Moabite women. Her two sons died, and she was left with her two foreign daughters-in-law. And then she said, just leave me. Just go back to your own people. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I just got to leave. I just got to get out of Dodge. And one of her daughters-in-law actually went back to her people, but she had a daughter-in-law named Ruth. And Ruth said, you know what? I will go with you, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth went with her mother-in-law all the way back to the area of Bethlehem. So that's where chapter two begins. And this morning, we're gonna look at chapter two and try to draw out from that passage of scripture uh, an idea here and something that we need to understand is that even when you're in a time of drought, it doesn't mean that there's never going to be harvest again. Let me put that out there again. In a time of drought, what most of us think is the drought is what describes life now and what will describe life in the future. But chapter two tells us that just because you're in a time of drought does not mean that there's not going to ever be rain again. So here's where it begins there in chapter two, verse number one. The Bible says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So here's the narrative of Ruth. And we're going to look at this more next week. So, if you this is your kind of your first time with us, if you can hang with us till next week, we'll bring this entire story to a conclusion. But here's kind of how it worked in the Old Testament. If you were on hard times, they had the concept of a kinsman redeemer that was a relative of yours who if he had the means would basically buy you out of your financial difficulty and if you were a lady he would assume the role of a husband so that you would not be uh, completely destitute or forced into prostitution this is not a sexualized concept and i know i mean good night in america and the west we sell everything with sex right like, I mean, literally everything. Like, what a Hardy's mile-high, five-mile-high burger has to do with a woman who hardly has any clothes on, I have no idea. But Americans, we use sex for everything, so it's hard for us to think when we look at the biblical narrative in biblical eyes because it was not a sexualized culture. And as we'll look at next week, even the, in the, the, the clause to where a kinsman redeemer who would deliver his relative out of financial bondage and assume the role of a husband it was not just that he's got he's got a spare tire y'all never heard that before my church is filled with christians all right He's not just saying that he can have something on the side. As we'll see in chapter 3 and 4, it is a massive responsibility to the point that there are a lot of men who would say, you know what, I can't assume that role because I can't assume the role of provider for another family. But it was a clause that God had in the Old Testament so that people would not be destitute. So here's what happened. In chapter 1, Naomi's death, the death of her husband and her son's guys, it had brought her so low that the grief had blinded her from remembering that she actually had a relative of her husband's. You know, grief can often do that to where we are blind to the obvious. You know, often grief, if you don't go to the Lord during times of grief, it can blind you to where you really stop looking for answers. You say, man, all that I can remember is drought. Drought in my marriage, drought in my job, drought. Drought. Like it's dry, bro, that's all that I can see. But what drought should cause us to do is to come to the Lord. And if we don't, what grief will do is it will slowly put blinders on our eyes so we stop looking for answers because she forgot what was apparent all along that God had already made a provision for her situation. So here's what Ruth does. Ruth is from Moab. She's not a Jew. She's not a Hebrew. And she says in verse two to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Basically, we don't have food. Now, here's something really interesting in the Old Testament. Um, If you're taking notes, this is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, Leviticus 23, 22, and Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. God actually had a provision in the Old Testament law that if you were a large landowner and you raised crops on your land, that when you harvested those crops and some of the grain fell off of the the, the sheaves of wheat and was on the ground, you don't go back and pick that up. And not only that, large landowners who did well were not to cut the corners of their field. Why did they not go back and pick up the small pieces of grain? Why did they leave the corners of the field standing It's because God cares for the poor. It was a provision for those who had nothing to have something. So what Ruth is saying is I know that that God is merciful and he even allowed for us to be able to go find food. Now let me just say something here. um, That in America, often we give people something for doing nothing. Oh man, you could cut it with a knife. Let me say something, when you repeatedly, systemically give someone something for doing nothing, it does not alleviate poverty. That has never happened in any country in the history of the entire world. It does not alleviate poverty. What it often does when you give someone something for doing nothing is it creates a, a system of dependency. And not only that, what it often has created, and especially in our country, if we can speak very frankly, it creates an attitude to where I feel that I am entitled to other people's property because of my situation. Now, this is when we get a Christmas gift from our mom to when a friend helps us out with a bill to whether we get assistance from the government or when we get the paycheck that we worked for. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be overcome by extreme gratitude because it is by God's grace that we're alive right now. So there's often people, uh, many theologians, who will try to take scriptures from the Old Testament and tell us that we are obligated to give people something for doing nothing, and that's not what the Old Testament scripture was. They actually had to go pick the grain. Did you catch that? To go pick the grain that was standing, to harvest the grain, the grain was not picked, packaged, and delivered by the landowner. Are we tracking or are we making a lot of people mad? Or both. If you want to use the Old Testament, you have those who are able to give, they give. But it's not giving for doing nothing. Man, it is like the quietest. If you're new with this, I, I promise it's normally not this awkward. Amen. Thanks, Bill. Here, here may be a part, if you're, if you're partially employed or, or unemployed, it may be that God in his sovereignty has allowed you to have more time at this time between jobs than you ever have before to serve your community and to serve your church and to serve your family. Let it sink in. If you are unemployed or partially employed, God in his sovereignty who knew what would happen before our parents ever thought, before our dad ever thought to be like, what's up to our mom, like before any of that, God knew that we would go through times of financial hardship and we still try to find jobs, but in those times of dryness, it's a time of great service because we have time. So here's where verse three kind of sets it up even further. It says, so she went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and this is a key phrase, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. In verse three, this is the writer's way who was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to say God is all over this. She just happened to come to Boaz's field. So here's Boaz. I mean, he's a, he's a well-to-do businessman, shows up verse four, and notice how he greets his Employees, He says, the Lord be with you. You see, you can tell a Christian business person by the way they treat their employees. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But here's what happens in verse five. He kind of says, whose young woman is this? He's, it's kind of like in New Orleans Ease, he shows up and he's like, who that? Like, who is who is this young woman? And it's not in a weird like, Creepy way, but it, the, the narrative in verses eight all the way through thirteen shows why Boaz was Boaz was like wow. He, he says, "Who is this woman?" And they say, "Well, this is the young woman, the young Moabite woman there in verse number six, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Like this is her that we've heard about, the one who had incredible faith in God. This is Naomi's girl, Boaz." And then notice how she responds. She, she says in verse seven, notice the humility. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. I and mean, there's, no, there's no attitude of entitlement there. Here she is humbling herself and then Boaz in verses 8 and 9 he is absolutely moved by how she Ruth is taking care of her mother-in-law he says he says there now listen my daughter do not go glean in another field or leave this one also keep close to my young women let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them have I not charged the young men not to touch you remember time of judges sketch city Sketch city. What he's saying is that you have protected and you have served your mother-in-law. So I'm going to protect and I'm going to serve you. Verses 11 and 12, he basically says, you know, the news of how you took care of Naomi and the news of your courage has preceded you. And let me just say something, ladies. There is something profoundly, awesomely, genuinely attractive about a woman that loves the Lord and says, I'm going to follow Christ wherever he leads me to go. Society says the way that you make yourself attractive is you dress inappropriately and then you take pictures of yourself. We're going there. You get attention. At the mall, at school, online, for cheapening yourself, where the, the Bible tells us that, that, that a virtuous woman, it is her character that counts. And what Boaz is saying, he's not saying, man, I'm just moved by your looks. He's not just throwing out Christian pickup lines. He's not just saying, you know, it hadn't, happen- it hadn't happened yet. But if it had, and Solomon had met you, he wouldn't have had 700 wives, I mean, he didn't walk over to her and say, you know what, my name is Boaz and I put the stud in Bible study. When can we start? (laughs) Like it, it didn't happen that way. The way it happened, ladies, is news of her character, of her virtue, of her love for God, her love for her family had preceded her so that impacted him far more than if she had come and tried to seduce him or make herself important by cheapening herself. And let me just say, ladies, you are daughters of the king. Don't let society, don't let culture say that the amount that you can show of your body equals your worth by how many likes you get. Or by the kind of guys that are gonna be attracted to that because whatever, what kind of bait you use, you attract that type of animal. Are we tracking? And when he tells you, if you love me, you'll let me, and then it happens, you'll be left high and dry as opposed to saying, you know what? I'm going to be like Ruth. I'm going to wait on the Lord, as we're going to see next week, Ruth, through her pain and through her privation, she didn't even know it, but God had a Boaz in waiting. So, one of the things here, ladies, we're going to go ahead and get the application: is do not settle. If you've got a passion for wounded animals and stray dogs, that's awesome. But please, for the sanity of your family and the glory of God, do not apply that to men. All right. And we'll, we'll, we'll break that down. It's going to be awesome next week. I mean, feathers are going to fly. It's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait. We will push buttons and stir up hornet's nest to the glory of God. So here's basically verse verses 14 through 16. It kind of continues, and Boaz is like, wow, this is the woman. So here's like this is the one. And it says at mealtime, verse 14, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in wine. He didn't do the elf thing. Do you like to eat food? He basically said, Look, here's some food for you, and I love this, ladies. This is so cool. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. I see some ladies nodding like this. I don't hear any female amens. But it means, all right, one. She ate in front of Boaz. I remember one of our first dates. I'm gonna I'm gonna get killed for this, but it was awesome. It was so awesome. We went to Smash Burger and and Jen said, I'd really love a hamburger. I was like, awesome. You know, some ladies you meet, they're like, I eat like one piece of salad every three weeks, and you know it's <laughs> I'm like, no, you eat the salad in front of the guy, and then you go home, right, and kill Papa John's. Like, we know, we know what goes down. I shouldn't have said that. And so we're there in Smashburger, and, and, and she says, don't, you know, and I, we're getting ready to eat, and I look, she's like, don't, don't look. Don't look. I'm sorry, she's like, don't, don't look. She's got this huge, massive hamburger. I'm like, yeah. And so I look down, and then I look up, and right to see her biting that hamburger, and man, stuff goes everywhere. It was an explosion of awesomeness. And I was like, let's, I mean, where's the nearest jeweler, Paul? Like, I mean, let's get this thing. I mean, let's, let's do this. If y'all can pray for me, I'm going to pay for this dearly. But I just thought that's so cool. I mean, she's just real and she's honest and she's, and she's humble. You see, and then Boaz goes so far there in verse 15 and 16. He says, well, tell her to just get some grain from these sheaves. You see, people notice when you serve other people. All of us want to be served, right? Like, we won't say that. But like all of us want to be recognized, all of us want to be served, but what we see in the narrative of Ruth is that she gave so much of herself in serving, it God brought someone along to serve and and take care of her. Now this is awesome, verse 17 and 18. Here's what Boaz kind of gives her. He gives her basically um, 22 liters of grain to take home. You talk about like making out like a bandit. For those of y'all like me that are sinful and you go to Golden Corral sometimes, I mean, now Golden Corral actually give you like half a dozen rolls to bring home after. After. Maybe I'm the only one. (laughs) I mean, that's all, that's like, 11, 2 leaders. I imagine carrying that home and she, she comes home and then there in, in verses 19 and 20, it's like for the first time in the entire book, this is, this is crucial. Naomi refers to God positively. Notice what happens in verse number 19. Girl talks going on. Her mother-in-law said to her, where'd you, where'd you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she took her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's Name with whom I work today is Boaz. And ladies, we don't know if she said Boaz. (laughs) Or how she said it exactly. But verse 20 is crucial, man. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, quote, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. You see, it was a time of incredible drought. And Naomi had almost come to the point in verse, excuse me, in chapter 1, to where she was talking like the Moabite. She was talking like the person who didn't know God. And God raised up this young Moabite woman, a woman who came from a culture that cared nothing for the one true God. And God used Ruth, the Moabite, to speak truth to Naomi, the Israelites. And then Ruth recounts Boaz's protection of her. And Naomi, I mean, at the end of chapter 3, it says, So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. She, Ruth, lived with her mother-in-law. She did not move in with Boaz. And we'll talk more about about this next week. And Naomi basically said, you know, stick with Boaz's people because you could be assaulted. Again, sketchy times, scary times. So how are we actually supposed to take this this narrative and and make that bridge to how that applies to how we live today? One truth here for us to remember is to not compromise during lean times. Don't compromise during lean times. Ladies, Ruth could have compromised and had herself an m M&M, and i mean a moabite man she could have just done what everybody else does and you know what i'm just going to be normal i'm going to i'm going to start where my family left off but there is something incredibly attractive about a woman who says i serve god and i will not compromise my standards And ladies, there are guys out there that are looking for a godly, stable, Christian-loving woman, and some of those guys are up to no good at all. One of the things that you should look for is, is the guy ready to provide for you? You see, Boaz was already ready to provide. If his mom's still paying for the dates, he's not ready for a serious relationship. Seriously. Seriously, I see it all the time. I mean, guys in their 20s and 30s doing nothing but being good at World at Warcraft. That is not a marketable skill. You think I'm making it up. Like some of you guys think it's funny, it's dead serious. And what they're looking for is a mom who's closer to their age that they can be girlfriend with. I'll let you fill in the details. And ladies, those of you who, that are, that are you, you're just motivated by compassion and mercy and love, please consult godly leadership. Consult your parents, consult people who have lived longer than you before you jump into a relationship. Because here's something that I've seen, guys, and I'm only 35, how ladies who grew up in homes to where there was abuse, guess who they marry? An abusive guy. But stepping back from the situation, often we can say, well, why would you want to have anything to do? Often it's because we don't have godly counsel. We make the same mistakes our parents made, and we're in the same cycle. So for those of you that are struggling through that, Christ can give hope. But for the ladies that are single again or have not been married, please take that seriously. Please ask yourself, when a guy approaches you for a relationship, where is he with jesus ask him say what do you study in your quiet time who do you pray for what do you pray for i mean go billy graham on him he's a big boy and if he doesn't have a man card to be able to take it he doesn't need to be talking to you in the first place and i know like i thought we were going to hear about jesus in the manger Second point, because we'll be on that one, Um, we'll tap into that next week, but we won't get out before the cantata, Fred, and I'm sure you want to have lunch before that if we stay on point number one. Truth number two, application point truth number two, is that humility provides opportunity. It provides opportunity, whereas an entitlement attitude closes doors. We see Ruth asking permission. She's a grown woman. She's been married. She even asks permission of her mother in law to go find food. What an amazing level of respect. And not only that, when she talks to Boaz, she's incredibly, incredibly humble. And by the way, the art of saying thank you, thank you so much, muchos gracias. Whatever language, it's amazing how many people today want to do well and have friends, but they never say thank you. You know, a Christian, someone who has been saved from hell, I mean, literally, like you and I were heading to hell and then Jesus Christ saved us radically. I mean, radically from the inside out. Don't you think that that should create the base level of humility and thankfulness? And imagine what it would look like, go with me on this, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, if we said, you know what, I'm not going to, operate based on I am the husband, I am the wife, and I deserve this, this, and this. And if I don't get these things, then I'm gonna throw a fit. Instead of, if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, I would have been in hell a long time ago and that door would have been absolutely eternally shut, doomed and damned forever. But God in his mercy chose to give me grace. So what I deserve is hell. Anything better than that is mercy. So the way I'm going to take this text and I'm going to run with it is I'm going to live in a merciful, gracious way. And when I am not respected, when I am not applauded and loved the way that I even think that I should be, I'm going to learn what it means to be Jesus Because Jesus had everything. I mean, he's the son of God always existing, but he chose to come in human flesh in a nasty, stinking world to redeem people who actually turned their back on him when he needed them most. Do you remember what happened? Garden of Gethsemane, they couldn't stay up with him. Peter and a couple of the other disciples kept falling asleep. And then when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. Like he, he, you could describe, like, get Shakespeare. I mean, get every author together, get him in a think tank. You could never, we could never describe how amazing Jesus is, but yet he came down to, to give himself for me? Who am I? I mean, who are any of us? But yet God did that because it's the humility of Jesus Christ that we see through Ruth, and it will work wonders in your relationships when we exchange an entitlement attitude for Jesus-centered humility. And then something also for those of you who are business leaders, that God shows incredible blessing to leadership that cares for the poor, that cares for the poor. You know, Christmas, we, we see the movies, and it can be a happy time, but for many people, it's a very difficult time. If the Lord has blessed you, you're you're a leader in business, or he's blessed you financially, one of the greatest things I believe that you can do for your children is when it comes Christmas time, that is a great opportunity to talk about missions. And it may very well be that the Lord leads you instead of piling toy upon toy upon toy with your children, who most children in America, they don't need any more toys, And in fact, probably too many toys given to children and they've been told it's all about you may be a little part of the problem that we're facing as a nation. But instead, it may be that you, you walk them through passages of Scripture that talk about the poor. And ways that you can help them, ways that you can pray for them, ways that you can encourage them. Talk to them about the persecuted church. What a crazy time to bring up Voice of the Martyrs on your computer screen and say, kids, we're able to celebrate that Jesus and his birth and his life and death and resurrection this time of year, because it all fits together. But do you know that there are people around the world right now that are actually thrown into jail, beaten and killed for talking about Jesus? Pull it up on the screen. Say, you know what, why don't we give a gift to help those people? Give to Lottie Moon, give to, I mean, Voice of the Martyrs, give to your local church. Help them see that Christmas time is about the gospel as opposed to the next thing that they can get that we will be bored with a week later. I mean, come on. And we see it throughout scripture time and time again that God regards the elderly, God regards the widows, God regards the orphans. Those are people in that day and time that society cared nothing for. The widows, well, she's a widow. The elderly, they can no longer work. The orphans, who cares for an orphan? But God says, I care for the poor. One of the greatest things that you can do is your family, as your business, and we as Rocky Mount Baptist Church I wish I could tell you story after story about how you guys meet needs for people who are poor. It's an awesome testimony of the glory of God, but it will change the dynamic of your family when you make Christmas about those who do not have instead of an accumulation of things that we really don't need. Then finally, we see that serving generates serving. Most of us want to be served, most of us want to be noticed, don't we? We do, I do, we, we. that's the part of being human. But what we see in chapter two of the book of Ruth is that Ruth put herself into service without anybody asking her to do so. She had an incredible amount of humility and sacrifice and diligence. And for those of us who look at that stuff, we're like, man, that motivates me. That motivates me to wanna to serve because you see, that's what Jesus did. Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to what, help me out, to serve, like that's what he came to do. So leadership for me, as your pastor, doesn't mean getting doesn't mean me just telling a bunch of people what to do, but it's me serving people together with you. Man, I can't wait for 2016. I mean, it's going to be an awesome time of seeing seeing the Lord work. And a couple more things. Number one, in verse 20. Um, kindness from God should not surprise us it's almost like Naomi got so down that she was surprised that God actually acted in kindness again she says may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead we should not take God's blessings for granted but don't you guys think that we should expect great things from God I mean sometimes we we pray prayers like well Lord if you can just do one more thing I mean, it's like like God's really tired at the end of a 500 meter race and he's barely trying to stretch across the finish line. No, when we talk about the God of the Bible, he's the God who has infinite power. The one who created heaven and earth and keeps everything going and has enough patience to let us take the next breath. And this is so ironic too because it's God, there in chapter two, verse 20, God using a Moabite woman to restore the faith of an Israelite. You see, droughts don't mean that it's not going to rain again. Paul Tripp says this. He says, quote, Jesus left a place where there is no suffering to suffer on our behalf so that our destiny would be a place where suffering is no more. See, there's gonna be a day in which we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and I've heard a lot of of people say and I've thought it before, but when I stand before God, I've got some questions for him. I don't think we'll get there, y'all. I really don't think we'll get there. Through the grace of God, if we've been genuinely saved and we celebrate the Old Testament. We celebrate the baby Jesus who is coming back as a conquering warrior. And we stand before him that day and we look back on all of this, the traffic, the doctors. For those of you parents trying to get your children to church on Sunday morning, The mission trips, paying the taxes, all of those things will be former. They'll all be in the past, and we'll be able to stand. And I don't know how this is possible, except for the grace of God that makes us what we could never be in of ourselves, and that is clean. And we will stand before Jesus. And if you've been changed and truly saved forgiven, he'll say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You see, to be a servant and a slave of Jesus, man, that is far better. I mean, that's far superior, far better than to be on the Fortune 500, to be a professional athlete who comes to the end of his or her life and does not have Christ because it will all be loss. All of it. So here's the question. What are you doing with Jesus? It's probably a good heart check time. If you died right now and stood before him, and he would say, why should I let you into heaven? What what do you think you would say?